to another episode of the Little Bear Broad podcast. Um, I am recording this introduction separately from the original podcast. Um, and trust me, I've recorded this introduction. I can't tell you how many times. But anyway, this is the final one. And I don't care how many times I have to do after this. But um, yeah, so we um, we had a couple of a failed attempts trying to record the actual podcast. Um, and eventually ended up having to do it by Skype. So just a little warning. The quality isn't terrific. But I do urge you to actually keep on listening. Uh, because there are some fantastic stories in here and some brilliant takeaways and especially if you are going or beginning to start the journey of having a baby abroad. So please continue listening. I'm going to introduce to you Lisa Furland and Sarah Coates Chandler, their birth stories and basically how to give birth abroad. Thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast, ladies. I'm really, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your evenings to um, uh, to talk about um, home births and water births um, and so on in Sweden. Um, it's a topic that I've wanted to talk about for ages, um, and the reason that um, I've asked you guys to be on here is because um, you've you've had it, you've experienced it in Sweden and and in other countries as well, and and I think that's a really um, important. Uh, exp- uh, important thing for people who are listening to to um, to, to get that uh, to understand that the experiences are so different. Um, so uh, let's just get head straight into it and start with um, Sarah. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hi. Hi. Um, uh, Sarah, you have quite recently given birth. How long? How long? How old is Henry? Yes. Henry is. Eight months this week. Oh, bless so, him! Yeah, so he's having a little milestone. Um, he hasn't got the memo, memo about sleeping at these milestones yet, but he may soon. <laughs> so it's eight months. Eight months ago, this time I was walking around thinking, "Is this baby ever going to come out?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I so I had a water birth, um, and Henry was my second water birth. I was extremely fortunate to be able to have two two of them. Um, I had a water birth in the UK, and I, I tell you, the main difference for me um, off the bat was that in the UK, it is is an accepted, um, you know, you know, form of labour. Yeah, and that really did alleviate any stress in the lead up to the birth because I was really focused on um, having a water birth. I really loved being in water, and I thought, yep, yeah, I can do that. I can move, move in water. I can be more kind of. Um, you know, mobile with my body. Um, I have chronic back pain, so the idea of laying on a bed or being kind of you know, on dry land kind of filled me with a bit of fear. Mm. So when I came to Sweden and I found out I was pregnant after some time, um, I went obviously did all the usual Balmoshka um, uh, stuff, and it really struck me that everybody was so fearful or not fearful. I guess maybe it's a little bit hushed about water births it's like oh we may do them we may not do them it depends on your midwife and that led to quite a little quite a lot of anxiety and I think that was a bit of a worry for me because I I knew that I could labor in water and I knew that that would be a really you know um secure option for me um and not needing a lot of pain relief and that was for me the biggest difference Mm. um and I felt that if there had been a bit more dialogue about water births and and you know looked at 
how successful they can be, then I would have felt more reassured going to the hospital on the night that I was in labor. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can understand. I mean, I, I, I had, when I had Stella, I had a textbook um, hospital birth, um, sort of doctor-led as opposed to midwife-led. <clears throat> and, um, and and that's something that I was really secure with from the start. I mean, that's something that I wanted. Um, but... I, uh, but it, it, the, even I was even struck by the fact that how they were very reticent about discussing alternative or what they would call alternative birth, birthing experiences. So, um, for example, you know, the, even when I even even to the point when I um, inquired about an epidural, they were just very kind of like, well, well, we'll, we'll just see about that. You know, and that that for me, who's that for me, who's some who who I am a, a little bit of a control freak. I like to know what's coming. I like to know what's ahead, um, and that kind of like quest that sort of question mark that was left hanging in the air around my birth plan and birth comas um, about not knowing whether or not I would be able to get a, uh, an epidural really scared the hell out of me. Really scared the hell out of me. Yeah, I think it's a strange one where they where where something so personal and so um, kind of, it's so unknown the first time you do it. Even the second time, it's an unknown because anything can happen. Each labour is different, each pregnancy is different. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was just really strange from my point of view. That I can understand if they say, look, you can't have a birth plan and, you you know, I understand that, that they don't know until you get there. But to kind of strike something completely off the list, for me, felt a little bit kind of restrictive and, and filled me with apprehension. And I guess the same as you not having that clear view, these are the things I, I want, can I have them, that can lead to anxiety and, and apprehension. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel about it. And Lisa, how did you, you, you did something, you, you kind of hit the nail, you, you dealt with the, you nipped the, the anxiety in the bud really right from the start with your, your second pregnancy that you had in Sweden. Tell us how you, like, how you dealt with the anxiety. I did. Well, and everything that you're, you're both saying is exactly what I experienced too, where the midwives were like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know. And I knew that, you know, my my first birth, I had an epidural and I didn't feel any pain and that was excellent. And I'm like, I want a repeat of that. And then when (laughs) they were hemming and hawing over the epidural, I was like, well, am I not going to get this? And they're like, well, you know, we can't guarantee anything and yada, yada. Second births go faster. I'm like, well, I just want to take control of my pain relief as much as I can. Yeah. And for me, I, I looked at uh, hypno babies, which is a form of self-hypnosis. And you just listen to these MP3 tracks and you do it yourself. And I'm like, you know, I can do this. Like, because I am a control freak and I, I studied a lot more for my second birth than I did my first birth. My mm. first birth, I was like, I'm going to get an epidural. It's going to be fine. I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> But with my second birth, I'm like, I'm on my own. Like, I don't know. This is in a, I'm in a different country. Yeah. I don't know what to expect. And so I need to be more prepared. And so I really prepared hard for, for the second birth. And I read um, Grant Dickley Reed. I don't know if you've read him, but he talks about the fear, tension, pain complex. Mm-hmm. And just what we're talking about, where if there's fear that yeah. the mother has, it leads to tension during labor, which leads to real pain, which of of course cycles back into more fear, more tension, more pain. And so that's why, you know, women do feel real pain, but then there are some women who don't feel pain during labor and it's because they have addressed the fear aspect. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or the tension aspect. And so, you know, as Sarah was talking about doing it with water, you know, she was, you know, addressing the tension part of that triangle and mm. eliminating that so that she wasn't getting the, the, the fear or the pain. And I just, you know, self-hypnosis works to keep your, your body loose and relaxed. And it's, it's pretty woo woo, crunchy, like I granola hippie chick. And I, I'm not that person, <laughs> but I really, you know, started, I really started to see a difference and, um, the tracks were really relaxing me and I was falling asleep during my training, you know, mm. while I was, while I was preparing. And I asked my, my friend who is a midwife in the U S and, uh, she said, Oh, if you're falling asleep during the tracks, you're going to have an awesome birth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, and she, like, she just gave me that little boost of confidence to trust in the system and to really go in full wholesale. And so, yeah, I just totally did it. And the birth experience was amazing and I didn't feel any pain cause it totally worked. So I, you know, I, I was the only person my midwife had known to ever try self-hypnosis yeah. and to, to do this. And so she was completely like, sure, you know, go for it. Like it doesn't involve drugs. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Thumbs up. Go for it. Yeah. So I kind of feel like the, the midwives, again, it depends on who you have, of course, but, mm. um, you know, they, they aren't really prepared for things that are outside of the box, you know, mm. and they don't have any way to advise you on that. So you have to be more prepared than they are and you have to teach them how it's going to go and I guess that's kind of really a, interesting <clears throat> sorry Sarah what were you sorry. saying go ahead I, was gonna say, I think it's really interesting they talk about that Lisa about the midwives being really um thankful or kind of open to no pain um during during childbirth but but the two options that we're talking about are sorry no pain no drugs um are about not using drugs to alleviate pain. And that's what's kind of a little bit interesting for me, that those two options aren't really offered or explored more here. Um, when they do rely on, you know, external techniques to alleviate pain. Mm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of their pain relief methods are stuck in, like, the 1970s or 1980s. Yeah. Like, Ten why is nitrous oxide <laughs> still an option? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And... Yeah, I, I don't understand. And what they've, they're really disregarding a lot of the latest research on water births mm, mm-hmm. and maintaining the stance that it's dangerous. And I mean, I understand risk, but then there's, you know, there's statistical risk as well. Like there's risk in every birth. Yeah. So to say that there's too much risk in water birth when, when studies have shown that there's not, um, I think it's just operating from a place of fear and insecurity rather than from, you know, science-based practice, which is really interesting because I always thought Sweden would be much more open to, Mm. you know, the latest research and the latest findings, but they're kind of old-fashioned in that way. Yeah. So our... um, They are actually led, and and that is really interesting because the science-led bit really um, defined my pregnancy because I had a complication during pregnancy, and they were really about the science. They were saying the science indicates that this is the course of treatment that we should take and they were really kind of adamant they were saying this is what we're going to do and it was a really conservative approach based on scientific evidence Mm. and then it came to you know a water birth and they were like well you know we don't want to try it and I and I actually said to one of the midwives I said surely it's more dangerous to not have midwives trained or aware of how to um 
administer or support a woman who wants to have a water birth than trying to, you know, try and let the midwife just, you know, wing it. The midwife I had, she, she had two water births under her belt and I was the second. She told me that after I delivered. Um, so she was probably the most experienced on the staff too. But it, but it was so hit and miss that I actually got her and I said to her, I really want a water birth. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really happy to facilitate that and help you do that. Mm. Um, so I could have got somebody who said, absolutely not. I will pull the plug literally once that baby's coming out. Mm-hmm. And that would have been hugely stressful. And, and it also goes against all of the research. So and there's a dichotomy there that is kind of at odds with each other. And I'm, I'm a bit confused about it. Mm. And I think the the system of the midwives being separate, where you have the office midwives and then you have the hospital midwives, yeah. and you know they have two different functions, and I think they they have different whole subjects of expertise. And so the prenatal midwives are focused on you know different things, and then those who are actually doing the labor and delivery are a different group of people. So. Yeah, it is. It is interesting how one group is very science led and the other is sort of, you know, practice based. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's interesting that it, talking about this because my our co host friend of the podcast, um, Ellie, um, Ellie Veller has just had a home birth, and okay. those are she just gave birth last last night, I believe, actually. Um, and um, she 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 won't mind me telling this now because this isn't going to go out until next Tuesday. Um, but uh, she uh, had to go through a really rigorous um, uh, set of tests and checks and so on um, for uh, the community to even sign off on her being allowed to have a home birth. And she, I think she's like it's one one birth in every thousand births is a home birth of a, a prepared like a, a you know a, a pre-planned home birth as it were um so um it was a I'm really dying to hear about her experience um but Lisa you kind of had an accidental home birth (laughs) I did yeah no one checked me no (laughs) maybe should have maybe they should have been like so are you prepared if you accidentally give birth at home no no we're not um yeah I had an accidental home birth because the self-hypnosis really did a good job it was it worked really well and I had no idea how far along I was because again you know when you're in the early stages of labor you're just kind of like oh I feel weird I feel okay and I had no no one telling me okay hypnotized birthing mothers do not present like the stereotypical woman in labor at all I was walking around, I was chatting, I was just kind of hanging out and doing the hypnosis whenever I felt the pressure wave. I never felt a contraction, so I never knew how far along I was. And then I went to the bathroom and I felt her head and she just came out. Like I just went into full squat and she birthed herself. Like she came out and she was four, she was four kilograms. So she wasn't a small baby by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, you know, we're from the U S and so my husband initially dialed 911 and that was wrong. And so we had to <laughs> hang up and dial 112 and he was just kind of freaking out. And it was a, I was very calm cause I was still in my hypnotized state and I was sort of like, I don't know what's happening. What, how was she already here? What, what is this? What is wrong? And you know, you instantly think, Oh, something is wrong. Like I'm not supposed to deliver this baby. That's, yeah. that's what a professional does. Like yeah. a nurse has to do this at yeah. the very least. 
So it was a bit of um, chaos. And then the, when the ambulance finally arrived, they took their time. They arrived like 20 minutes later and then um, cut the cord. And then we, we, I waddled off to the hospital and they, we got a, a ride in the ambulance for free. So that was nice. It was not, not planned at all. Absolutely. 100% not planned. And I credit the hypnosis for keeping me very calm when, you know, the situation totally went upside down and just, um, you know, kept, kept me calm and I felt very in control and it was okay because she was fine. And usually when a baby comes that quickly and that easily, it's because everything is, is Mm, okay. So mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm. good. They're ready to come out at that stage, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just, I'm curious to know in terms of like, it's, I, I, yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, every birth is, is different. Um, even when the mother is the same, but, um, do you, do you feel more in control the second time round or do you, do you, you know, what was the, what's the, the, in terms of just the comparison of both births, was it, were they, you know, how, how did you, how, how did they compare? Mine were completely, completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't think you can benchmark one against the other and you do, you know, you, you're like, okay, this is what happened with the first. So this is what I think will happen with the second. And then they're just completely different. And I think it's because the kids are different. Like the personalities are different. They're different people. You're different. You know, your body is different. It's already been through it once before or mm-hmm. twice before, however mm-hmm. many times mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. So it's always, it's always an adventure and it, they're always keeping you on your toes. So that's been my experience anyway. Mm. And, and Sarah, what, what about you? I was trying to replicate, and I think that was a big mistake. Yeah. Um, because I had quite a nice um, labor the first time. It was really relaxed. It was, you know, I went into labor around midnight. I, I was in the pool from, you know, about two o'clock, and the baby came at six. And it was a really nice, relaxed environment. There was one midwife, and I was like, yeah, I really had a lovely experience. So I really wanted to have that again. And and that led to that apprehension, as I was talking about earlier, that, you know, thinking, oh, if I can't have this water birth, it won't be the same and I won't, I won't feel the same. Yeah. Um, so once I got into the, once I got into the, I won't call it a pool in Sweden, it's more like a large bath. So <laughs> it was a little bit different. Um, I thought, I thought, okay, I'm here now. This is, I know, I know how I can, I can do this. So, yeah. so actually they were different like the second one was a lot quicker as Lisa was saying your body knows what's going on and the baby's yeah. different and, um but it was I would say that both of mine were quite similar in mm. that I created a similar environment um to to kind of make myself feel comfortable I guess mm-hmm. so that was really positive for me that it was that I was able to do that in two different countries I mean the, the way in which I got there was vastly different but but the the actual outcome and the feelings that I had were, were quite similar I think it's really interesting, Sarah, that you used the word, you you were trying to replicate something that had happened before. And I think, you know, in all the times I've talked to people about, um, you know, expats and and, uh, so on, especially when it comes to culture shock and things like that, you know, that's what, (laughs) there's this constant need to replicate what it was like at home or what it was like in a previous job or what it was like you know, with family life or home life and you know when you come around, and I think you know birth is no different in that sense is it people are constantly trying to have something familiar have something uh, that they know and they understand especially in situations which can be you know terrifying 
quite frankly quite frankly um uh so it, i i think that's a really good takeaway is the fact that you know yes you know seek that seek that thing that comforts you but you know understand that you know we there can be no replication of something um and and looking for alternatives such as the the hypno hypnobirthing or or you know home birth is is something that you should really advocate for um because it, that seems to be the big issue really good for it that's one thing that i learned and i think maybe that's you know i'm older and i you know i had been through a water birth before so i was like no this can be done and i'm not going i, I, I every midwife appointment that i had i, I reiterated it mm. i didn't I didn't let them push me into a, into a corner. And I just said, look, this is possible. This is something that I have done. Mm-hmm. I can do. Yeah. And, you know, I don't need you to, to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think maybe if I hadn't have had that first experience in the UK, I wouldn't have been as confident and I wouldn't have been able to tell them that. I would have just kind of accepted that that, that was the way. Yeah. And I think, I hope that if anybody is listening and they want to have a water birth, you know, to really fight for that right yeah. and, and to fight for what you feel comfortable with yeah and uh, well that's that's an interesting point you go, go there because what i was going to ask you was or both of you um lisa first of all go with you and um, if you were to give anybody advice or anybody who was pregnant and and had um you know was looking for a particular birth plan what would be the piece of advice that you would give to them um you know in in terms of how to get what they want I would say that um, if you are not, I, I would say you understand that you are going to birth in your mother tongue yeah, and that um, the people around you may not speak to you in English. I don't know. I, again, I didn't have a Swedish hospital experience, so <laughs> you, would, you would know better than I would. Um, I birthed in my mother tongue. I birthed with you know, my husband right there speaking English to me. But just understand that if English is your mother tongue, that is what you're going to birth in because your your brain goes into this primal state and yeah. just, I, I you, yeah. you become like blind, deaf, and dumb and you are just hundred percent focused on your body and your body is focused on giving birth. And so you don't have time to translate. You don't have time to think in another language. You don't have time for any of that. It's just your, your brain cells are all focused on your body. I could not so agree I, with you more about that because I actually thinking about it now you just you just triggered something I cannot remember whether or not the midwife spoke to me in Swedish or in English I actually it's just because you weren't hearing them yeah yeah because primal primal that that thing shut down you're just yeah. delivering yeah. a baby yeah 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 yeah. So I would say, you know, have someone there, either your partner or a friend or someone who can advocate for you and what it is that you want in your birth plan, because you're not going to be in a position to do that in a foreign language. If, you know, and even if you believe you are fluent or, you know, have a high proficiency in Swedish, I you're not going to be fluent or have high proficiency when you are giving birth. It's just not going to happen. So having someone there, if it's not your partner, a friend or someone you trust who can be your advocate is, is my, my number one priority or recommendation for that. Yeah. Great. And Sarah, what, what would you, what would you, um, what would be your top tips? I mean, I think for me, it's that, you know, thinking about what makes you feel comfortable and really advocating for that, really pushing for that because, you know, times are changing. And um, you know, Sweden, Sweden is gonna Sweden is gonna catch up, but it, it's only gonna take people who 
push and change that system to make those changes happen. And, you know, that midwife that I had, she was relatively young. You know, she really wanted to help me deliver my baby in a way that made me feel comfortable. And I thought, you know, this is the way forward. And, and it comes from us. It comes from us saying this is what we want. This is how we want this um, procedure not to be We want it to be more natural or we want it to make us feel more comfortable. So I think driving those changes as women, as mothers, um, and as Lisa said, partners, partners advocating is so important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of fight for it. I, I called all the hospitals during my pregnancy and spoke to a lot of people and, you know, made my decisions based on those conversations mm. and really being informed. So, you know, inform yourself, you know, push, stand up for yourself. This is a this is a pivotal moment in your life. You may only do it once or twice. You may, you may, you may do it once and never do it again. So don't have a regret. You know, really push for what you yeah. for what you want. Yeah, mm, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, I think I, I, I think I would if if I could go back and 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 do it again. <laughs> I might do it again. I don't know. Um, but if I could, I would definitely, um, uh, I, I would definitely stand up for myself a little bit more than I did. Uh, I, but I think at the time, I think it's also difficult at the time when you know I, I was seven months pregnant when I landed in Sweden and had had a pretty grim experience on the maternity side, uh, living in London. So wasn't really sure about what to expect when I came here. Um, was pleasantly surprised though, but didn't really understand, didn't really understand where, what my rights were. What, what, what could I have asked for? What could I, you know, how far could I push it? Um, but I think it's really important, as you said, to say that, you know, you, you, you do have every right to push it as much as you want. And if you don't get what you want at the the, at the barn mushk or the, the, with the doctor that you have, find somebody else, you know, go, go, yeah. go somewhere else. And um, there are there are plenty of places in Stockholm that you can go to. Um, and private as well. There's some fantastic... I, I, changed midwife, I changed midwives at eight weeks because she wasn't helpful and I didn't like it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> did you... There is, um, there is a pregnancy patient or, uh, yeah, pregnant patient bill of rights. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. And uh, I think the reason I'm familiar with it is because you may have, Lisa, you may have. Uh, Cause I shared it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you have the right to ask for a new nurse. So, you know, if you are in the middle of your labor and delivery and this one nurse is just not, you know, is pushing you around or badgering you, like you have the right to, to ask for somebody else. Yeah. You're the patient, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of patients, especially pregnant, laboring mothers, they don't and, and feel first like they're time, in a first position time. to demand things. Yeah, first you know, time mothers don't make the wrong decision. This yeah. is your baby. Like, yeah. it's your baby's life. You want you want to trust the people who are around you. But on the other hand, like, if you don't trust the people around you, you don't want to be in that position either. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and, and that's why, yeah, as you said, that's why it's so important to have somebody advocating. Sorry, Sarah. Vulnerable situation that you're in. Mm, you're, yeah. Every every emotion is exposed. Your, you know, your emotions are beyond anything you've ever experienced before, and you're trying to keep it all together. It just doesn't happen that well. And I think, I think when you know both of you said about being control freaks, and <laughs> and I don't think that's 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 not a bad thing. And I don't think it's it's exclusive to you guys. I think we all like to be control of ourselves and our bodies and our emotions and pregnancy throws all of that out the window so when you come to the laboring you've just had nine months of 
you know, the most intense feelings of your life. And then to try and negotiate, which is effectively what it is, you're negotiating something, yeah. you don't have the skills or the, or the ability to do that. So yeah. I think, as you said, Lisa, having an advocate and being really well informed in advance, I just can't, I just can't advocate that more. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and especially, you know, as a, a foreigner giving birth in a different country, you have to do more research than you would otherwise. You know, if you were giving birth in your home country, you're more familiar with the system. You, you know, may know, may have a relationship with your doctor already established. So it's really on your shoulders to do the research and to be prepared, I mean, for, for something that you know, you may have never experienced before. So yeah, yeah. It, it requires much more preparation than I think people normally put into a birth. Mm. And, and Lisa, yeah. I hope you don't mind me asking this, but was that the inspiration behind uh, the two books that you, you edited and published, Knocked Up Abroad series? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just the, my two birth experiences were so different. And then I started talking with other women and they all had you know, the, the stories that came out were just absolutely fascinating. And, mm. uh, some women in the, the books, they've given birth in three different countries yeah. or, you know, they, they gave birth and then they moved immediately or they flew halfway across the world in labor and gave birth in a different country. And so it, it's really interesting the lengths to which, uh, women will go to, to give birth on either familiar circumstances because some people travel back to their home country to give birth there and then they face different challenges coming back and uh, others just figure out the local system and yeah. they, they make it work to the best of their ability to, yeah. with you know varying success and so I thought that those stories were just fascinating and mm. that's, that's that's what drives the, the two books yeah I mean they're they are I, I have to say I've only read the the second book um, but it is just fascinating what people as you say what people have gone through and how they the resourcefulness as well um, that some of the yeah. some of the stories that I have to offer it's really inspiring actually and if there is anybody out there who um, is facing um, uh, giving birth abroad um, over here in Sweden especially um, do uh, go to Amazon you can buy them from Amazon is that right um, Lisa yep 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 yeah. so they're available from Amazon uh, and uh, knocked up abroad and knocked up abroad again so that's the series. Um, get them and, and read them because they really are um, inspirational um, and, and it, it does talk it does the theme is there's a lot of advocating going on in that book as well you know standing up for yourself knowing what it is that you want and uh, it's great great um, there's lots of women doing it all over the world in all different manners of um, environments so so even though you may feel really alone reading those books or even talking to other women you'll realize that actually you're not alone even though you feel that in a foreign country yeah yeah exactly absolutely absolutely great you're not alone we've done this before and we have wisdom <laughs> to share absolutely yeah, yeah. and I, I i bet you every other person that you meet on the street in stockholm is a foreigner who's done this <laughs> um so thank you guys so much for for taking the time to talk with me again i really appreciate it it's been fascinating talking to you and i am um, absolutely certain that people listening in will be um will have many questions and, and if they do we will maybe take this uh, up again uh, and include ellie in the conversation about her home birth too because i'm really interested absolutely. to hear about that um so yeah so have a great evening you too too thank, thank you. you yeah no worries thank you take care bye